He sent to bring the message of Jesus to the world. And he sent to establish churches and encourage churches. And one of the ways that Paul helped the churches is he wrote them letters. Letters of instruction, letters of encouragement, letters of reminders. And so the book of Corinthians is a letter written to a church in a city called Corinth. And he's writing to them and he said, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. For it is by this gospel that you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word that is preached to you. Otherwise, your belief is a vain belief. For if what we received is passed on to you, what I'm passing on to you, everybody say it with me, is of first importance. Say it one more time. Is of first importance. That's right. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised the third day according to the scripture. So what the Bible is telling us is that what we're going to talk about this morning is a reminder to some of you. It's like, oh, this is something I've heard. I've heard this type of stuff before. I've heard about Jesus rising from the dead and all this other stuff. But the scripture is constant in its reminders. Paul said, it is not a burden to me to remind you or to say the things that I've already told you. Here he's telling this church, you need to remember this. I need to remind you of this. So if you're a Christian this morning, you need to be reminded of this. Say this with me. I need to be reminded of this. Because I tend to forget. And he's talking about this message of the cross, the truths of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that this message is not just to be heard. This message is to be received. They say most people, will, if they miss heaven and they miss heaven at all, they're going to miss it by 18 inches. Because they're going to believe something in their mind, but they're never going to embrace it with their heart. The gospel must not just be heard, must not just be believed. Oh yeah, I, I believe that, I kind of believe that. It must be embraced from the heart. It must be believed from the depth of the personhood, from the heart where you are. And this is a belief that sometimes you don't have to understand it in order to believe. The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, does not have to be understood in order to believe. This is where people get, we kind of dissociate that sometimes. We think, well, we've got to understand it in order to believe it. You do not. God has created you to believe things without understanding them. Right? You travel on an airplane, people? Anybody in here travel on airplanes? Right? Do you know how airplanes work? Do you, know, do you know the science of jet propulsion? Do you know the physics of lift and thrust? Do you know, do you, can you do an, an equation based upon the weight of the plane, how much thrust is necessary? To get the, no, you can't. But yet you get on that plane believing that it's going to take you where you need to go, right? We're designed to believe without having understood. Yet we think that we have to understand in order to believe. That is not what the Bible teaches us. That is not even what the Bible teaches us, but that's not even how we're made as humans. We believe things without fully understanding them. We have to be reminded of this. We have to be receive it. We need to be saved. It is from this that we're saved. We're going to talk about what it means to be saved. And it's, the Bible says this. It's of first importance. There's a lot of things in life that can be prioritized. Monday morning comes and life starts prioritizing itself to you, doesn't it? The alarm clock rings. Your kids are hungry. You've got to get the kids off to school. If you're a parent, you've got to get to work. You've got to meet that deadline. You've got to find a job. You've got to go to school. Whatever it is you're doing, there are other things that prioritize themselves into our lives and become first importance. But the Bible says if anything's of first importance, it's your salvation. If anything needs to be the priority within the life of a person, it is what they do with Jesus Christ. If anything needs to be a priority to a Christian, it is understanding who they are and what their faith is all about. This is of first importance. There is nothing, say it with me, there is nothing, there is nothing. More, important more important 
Nothing. Say, saved, what does this mean, salvation? Saved from what? What do I need to be saved from? What are you talking about, Kevin? And what does salvation even mean? Say this with me. We love participation here at Elevate, if you can't tell already. Say, salvation, salvation. is when someone, when someone does something for me that I cannot do for myself. If a surgeon helps you and removes something or operates on you, we say that doctor saved me, right? If a fireman goes into a burning building, brings you out, helps you, rescues you, we say that rescue worker saved me. If you're swimming, we go down here on the beach, we have rip tides and currents, undercurrents that take us out to sea, take us across town when we don't want to go. And if a lifeguard swims out there and brings you back to shore, we say that lifeguard saved me. The Bible teaches us that we need to be saved. Saved from what? Next slide. We're lost in sin. What is sin? We're going to talk about that. Why we need a Savior and what sin is. Sin has an undercurrent. Scripture speaks of two different types of sin. There is a first type of sin that means to offend, and there is a second type of sin that means to miss the mark. Sin that causes us to offend. We're going to talk about that in a second. But in order to understand it, it's a sin that, sin that causes us to offend is when we reject Jesus. When we think we're our own God. We think we don't need God. We offend God. We push him away. The second type of sin is if you're a Christian and you know Jesus, but you keep having habits and hang-ups. You keep operating in a way either out of ignorance or out of arrogance. You're operating in a way that is not the way that God has designed. That's a sin. That's causing you to miss the mark. You won't miss heaven necessarily, but you definitely can miss your destiny. And it has an undercurrent. Anytime you sin, sin always takes you further than you want to go. Huh? He's like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just going to get on a train and go one stop. Well, sin always takes you downtown then. It never just takes you one stop. It has an undercurrent. It carries us further and further and further away. In order to understand what we need to be saved from, we need to understand how we were made and how, what condition we find ourselves in without Jesus. When God created mankind, he said, let us make man in our image. And in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female, and God blessed them. So we see why God created us. We are created in his image and likeness. We are created to be sons and daughters under a father. God created mankind to be his family. He created another species of cre creatures called angels. The angels were never created to be family. Angels were created to be ser servants. We were created to be family. Man was created first and foremost to be in relationship. So God designed you to be in relationship. He designed you to be in relationship with him and with one another. This is a big thing. I think what we, we get this stuff wrong sometimes in our culture and we're completely misguided. We think necessarily that independence is a good thing. Independence is not a good thing because you're not designed to be independent. You're designed to be codependent and interdependent. Health is going to come into your life relationally when you start understanding that you are interdependent and you're created to be codependent. That's how you work. If your car runs on gasoline, you can't put diesel in it and expect to get very far. Or you can't put sand in the gas tank or water in the gas tank because it's designed to operate on something else. God designed us to work inter interdependently with one another. As Christians, we're called a body, which means we each supply one to the other. We need each other. It's necessary. Right? And we're designed to be codependent. 
This is why people are so easily addicted. Our psychology needs to address this issue. We think that addiction is a bad thing and we keep trying to get people out of addiction when the very nature of man himself or woman himself is addiction. We're addicted to everything. Find something you can get addicted to. You get addicted to, you know, I was telling people, binge watch movies. And we, we are easily addicted to things. We are easily codependent on things. It couldn't be that God actually made us to be codependent, but we're codependent on the wrong things. Could it be that we're asking the wrong question? We're trying to get people out of codependence when what we need to do is redirect them to the one that we're supposed to be codependent on? We're supposed to draw from? In him we live, move, and have our being? We're designed that way. I think that would free a lot of people who struggle with addiction because you're battling an addiction and you're condemning yourself thinking, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, I'm an addict. We're all addicts. I'm serious. We all are. We're addicted to something. Fame, fortune, you know, what, there's some, some avenue in your life that you can't do without because you're made that way. But we're created to draw from his life. We're created to draw from his world. We're created to be codependent upon him. We were created for relationship. We have to understand how we're made. If we understand how he made us, we understand his intention for us, we understand our condition, then we can understand what Jesus did for us, then everything's going to change. But until we get those points, nothing's going to change. We're created for a purpose. God made man in his own image to be like him. The father was a ruler, so he made man a ruler. He gave man the realm of the earth. Where were the purpose? He said, rule over the fish of the sea. Literally, the Hebrew understanding of what Adam was commanded to do was to create culture. He was to bring to the earth a culture. What culture? The culture of heaven. That's what Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. So the command to Adam was to create the culture of heaven upon the earth. Rule and subdue as you see advance. As you see me do, so you do. So man was created for a relationship. Man was created for a purpose. Here's the really big one. Man was created, man and woman were created for partnership. I'm going to free a lot of you this morning, right? This is what it means. Nothing that Jesus commands you to do is possible by you. Is only possible in partnership with him. You can't do it alone. You can't do it. You can't fulfill the Ten Commandments. You can't do it. We, we, we put burdens on people, uh, we, we, and we tell them to do certain things. Jesus commands certain things, but what we don't, what we don't point people to, we point people to the commands of Christ, but we don't commit, put, point people to the power of Christ. The power of Christ is found in the Spirit. And you can't do what he tells you to do without the Holy Spirit. I got news for you. Say, so, yes, I can. It's not, I, I teach this church, it's not about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are good, but it's about the power of the Spirit. Because you can only do so much in discipline. But you can do a whole lot more in the power of the Spirit. Let's just look at a couple of commands, okay? Husbands and wives here this morning, Bible tells you love your life, wife as Christ loved the church. I always ask husbands, how are we doing on that? Well, I think I'm doing pretty good. Would we like to bring the wife up and have her testify? You can't do it. That ability to love her in that manner does not exist with you. But in the Spirit, that power exists with you. You can love her in such a way that's beyond even your own abilities. Wives, honor your husbands, as Sarah did. Oh, hold the chairs, ladies. Calling him Lord. Don't throw anything at me now. I'm all right. Women are like, that's it. It's on. 
You can't honor your husband. The idea was that the woman was to honor her husband, esteem, respect her husband, surround him with strength and benefit. The husband was to lay his life down, love her, nurture her, grow her, relate to her, commit to her, make her feel secure so that she in turn would commit back to him. None of that's possible without the power of the Spirit. It is not possible. But in the Spirit, she can do that. In the Spirit, I can. Here's another one. Forgive. You can't forgive without the Spirit of God. You can't. Forgiveness is humanly impossible. Forgiveness in its of itself is the seed of heaven. Forgiveness in and of itself is divine power. This is why we have people entrenched and enslaved to unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred. People that don't know Jesus and people that do not have the Holy Spirit cannot forgive. That's why we have counseling and therapy and all of these other things to try to get them to this place of forgiveness. But they just can't get there because forgiveness itself comes from the Father. He said, I can forgive anybody. You know what I always tell those people? I said, you haven't been hurt deep enough. Yes. Uh-huh. If you can forgive everybody, no one has hurt you to the core of your being. Forgiveness comes when you've been struck at the core of your being and you can let it go. That's forgiveness. Hmm. Yeah, you see what I'm talking about? You can't do it without him. It's impossible. So we have to understand this. We have to understand that we're created to relate to him. We're created for a purpose given by him. And we're created for a partnership with him. And here's a big one. You're created to be blessed. This is good news, Christian. You were created to be blessed. You say, I haven't done anything to be blessed. It's because he wants to give it to you. You didn't do anything. You were created by God to be the recipients of his blessing. Now, the understanding is, is that we have to learn to receive his blessing, but from his blessing, we are to be the beneficiaries to the world around us. Blessing is not self-terminating. In other words, the blessing of God doesn't terminate with you. What he gives to you, freely you've received, freely you give. But in order for us to freely give, we first got to receive, learn how to freely receive, right? And we have to understand that we are recipients of his blessing, and we are created to be blessed. He loves you. He is constantly looking for opportunities to bless you. The Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is constantly trying to align the believer into a pathway that the Father can bless. That's what he's doing. We have this image of God walking around with a baseball bat ready to lay one on us. Looking around. Oh, yeah. I saw you smoking, drinking, and chewing and hanging out with those that were doing, Kevin. Wow! That's how we view him. Like he's out to get us. He's not out to get you. He's out to bless you. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. His desire is to bless those who will come to him. His desire is to honor those who will receive it. And with the Christian, we have a hard time receiving it because we don't feel worthy when nobody is. So let's just get that clear. Nobody's worthy. He's worthy. And he gives it to you and you go, wow, why are you loving me? Just because. Why are you blessing me? Just because. Just because he wants you. We, man was created to be the object of his affection. This is a deep understanding. God is love. He is the fullness of love. Love in the Bible is to seek the highest good. So love is not an emotion according to scripture. It is to seek the highest good of the other. It's not a feeling. Feelings change. Love in the scripture is a purposeful intent. It is a determined action. God set his love on you. He set his affections on you. That's what he does. So I tell people, you can love anyone. You just got to set your affections on them. 
I don't feel it. Well, nobody said to feel it. He said, set your affections on him. He sets his affections on you. God is the object. God himself is love. And in love, if you never know fullness of love, okay, ladies, you're going to get this one. Guys are kind of like, we've got to dial in a little bit because women are more acclimated to love than men are. You know, I'm not saying we're not loving. I'm not saying what I'm saying. Well, I'm going to make everybody mad here. I'm getting the women mad at me. Now I'm going to get the guys mad at me. All right, all right. But love must find an object. Love has a passionate desire to find expression. And if our Father is love, He is looking for a passionate object upon which to... That's why we were created. We are the objects of His love. Created to be the objects of His love. How? In relationship, in His purposes, in His partnership. Receiving His blessing and therefore becoming the blessing to the world. That's why Jesus says, you're lights of the world, you're salts of the earth. How is that possible? When we understand who and what we are and why and what he has given to us, then we go forth and do that. We bless the world. Church is the light of the world. I don't have time to get into it. God's designed the church to be the welfare system. God's designed the church to be the social system. And I'm not saying it's not about salvation because it is. But the church in its nature is to, is to answer the world's problems. We're the light of the world. Heaven is not looking to governments. Heaven is looking to the church. That's what heaven looks to. Heaven looks to the body of believers. Heaven looks to the leadership of the house of God to form the people into a body, to move forward like an army, revolutionizing and changing the culture. That's what you see in the scriptures. Souls being saved, lives being changed. Absolutely. Cities being transformed, culture being renewed. Next slide. We're lost. So mankind was created for those purposes, and I'm going to just kind of summarize for you here, is that uh, through a series of events, Adam and Eve decided they didn't need God anymore. They just woke up and go, hey, you know what? I don't think we need him anymore. I think, you know what? I think we can be God. High-fiving each other. Yeah, that's great. We don't need God anymore. And so they determined not to follow God anymore. That's what our ancestors did. They not only determined that they didn't need God, they said in their heart, we are God. Okay? And this is what we see reflected out in our culture. I tell people all the time, the Bible proves itself. Just look at the world around you. The truths of the scripture are constantly being confirmed. Man said this. It was a sin. It's the Greek word harmatia, and it means to push away. Harmatano means to miss the mark. Harmatia means to push away. Adam and Eve pushed God away. If you're familiar with Isaiah, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've pushed him away. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We've all gone our own way. We've said, get away from me. I'm going my own way. Our ancestors decided that they could decide what is right and wrong. Our ancestors decided that they could determine all of these things. And what happened when they pushed God away is they became lost. Everybody say it with me, lost. So the church emphasizes spiritually lost, which I will emphasize. But I want to show you the totalness of our lostness. We're not just lost spiritually. We are lost to the uttermost. Man became lost to God. How do you know? Have you ever asked anybody's opinion about God? Have you? Have you ever gone on the street and done an interview? Do you believe there's a God? Well, yes. Who do you think God? Well, I believe God is this, and I believe there's many gods, and, you know, and every now and then I think that there is no God. You know, everybody's got an opinion about God. We determine if there is a God. We determine how many gods. We determine what God is like, what he's not like, and we can even say that there is no God. This is a confirmation of our lostness. We don't have a clue who God is. We have no clue. Lost. Became lost to ourselves. Here's another clueless one. We don't know who we are. We don't know what we are. We don't know why we are. And most people don't even know where they are. This is how lost we are. My emphasis is, when man pushed God away, he became lost. 
No knowledge of God anymore. No knowledge. We're making it up as we go along. Just making it up. Right? Lost to ourselves. Identity crisis all over the place. Everybody's having an identity crisis. Nobody knows who they are. Everybody's got to go off and find themselves. We're lost in our relationships. You seen how many wars there are in this world? You know what we say? We go, Why can't we all get along? Because we don't know how to get along. We don't know how. The problem is sin. Sin has entered the system. Sin has decayed man. Sin has moved man away from his original purpose and has created a void. We have wars and rumors of wars. We create United Nations, right? Everybody heard of the United Nations? You know, you know what the purpose of the United Nations are? So all the nations can get along. Well, how's that working? Not real good. There's more, there are more wars in, the, in this century than at any other point in history. Now, they're not global wars, but they're ethnic wars all over the place. There are wars globally right now, more so than in any other time in history, yet we couldn't be more educated on peace. Why is that? Because we don't know what we're doing. We don't. We're lost. Divorce. If we're honest, we don't know how to make marriage work. Can I get a witness? All right? That's right. We don't know how to make it work. I don't know how to love you. You don't know how to love me. I don't understand you. You don't understand me. I don't even understand me, so how am I going to understand you? I don't know how to make this work. It's true. We're lost. This is why we have skyrocketing divorce rates, right? Or we have people nowadays, this is the common one, is we don't even need to commit to marriage at all. We're just going to stay together and see if it works out. And if it doesn't, oh, well, we can part ways. Nobody's hurt. That's the new one. The truths of these things are answered in Jesus. God can be known. Your identity can be known. Your purpose can be known in Christ. There are answers to relationships. There is answers to peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Okay? He knows he's the only one who knows how to make peace. There are answers within the scripture, practical answers and spiritual answers on how to make marriage work. Jesus designed marriage, in case you know, didn't know that. This wasn't man's idea. You know what I mean? Guy didn't wake up and go, hey, I was thinking, um, maybe I give you a ring, you give me a ring. And maybe we find some dude that's in a robe or something, and we go up and we, we tell each other that we love each other. How about that? Hey, that sounds great. We didn't make this up. God made this up. He created marriage. If he created it, he knows he's the only one who knows how to make it work. We got it? We're lost to our environment. People wander from place to place. They don't know why, because they're lost. They feel completely disconnected. There's no home. There's no home around them because there's no home in their heart. Because the God that makes the home in the heart is not there. So they never feel at home. Lost to our environment, okay? So again, we can see all this stuff in culture. We got people over here hugging the trees. Don't cut the trees. We got guys over here with chainsaws going, cut them all down. Which one's right, which one's wrong? Neither one of them is right, and neither one of them is wrong. God has designed the earth as a resource to be taken from, but he's also designed man to be the steward of the resource and put it back. I don't know why this is like rocket science, but somehow we can't figure this out. You know what I'm saying? Take the, take the wood, but plant some trees. Hello, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what, what, what part of this don't we understand? Because we're lost. We make it up as we go along. We're hopeless and helpless. Come on, say it with me. I don't want to be lost. I want to be found. Jesus is the answer to my lostness. He is. He loves his creation, and he does not desire you to be lost. This is why he came. He came not to start a religion, but to restore the broken relationship. He came to bring his sons and daughters home. 
that many sons and daughters would become unto righteousness, the Bible says. This is why he came, to give his life, to take, his, to take our place. Next slide. Because of his great love. See it right there? Why did he do it? Because he loves you. Why does he love you? Just because. There is no reason why he, have you ever seen yourself? You look at the world and go, what, what is so lovable about us? He's determined to love you. He loves you just because he wants to. Because of his great love, God who is rich in mercy. He's not short on mercy, he's rich. And he likes to spend mercy money, okay? Jesus likes to make it rain, okay? He likes to make it rain mercy. That's what he does. Come on, you can laugh, that was funny. <laughs> he makes us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace. Grace is God's enabling power. It is by God's enabling power that we're saved. We need to be saved. How can we be saved? By God's enabling power in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. We're born of Adam. There's not many, there's not many races on the earth. The Bible does not refer to us as multiracial. It refers to us as multi-ethnic. Ethnos. It's a Greek word. It's where we get the word ethnic from. And all it means is different than you. That's all it means. What is an ethnic group? Somebody different than you. So that's what it means. We are all of one race, and we are descendants of a guy named Adam. We are born of Adam. So in Adam is where we get our makeup. We get our genetics. We get our spiritual side. We get our emotional and our physical, all of our physical being. Everything flows from Adam. Theologians, or those who study Scripture and acknowledge Scripture, call Adam what is called a federal head. In other words, he's the point by which everything else flows. So if we want to know where everything comes from, we've got to look at Adam. The Bible says this, just through disobedience... Through Adam's sin, all of us became sinners. This is what the scripture is telling us. Because Adam did this, everyone who followed through Adam is now a sinner or separated, born separated from God. So also through the obedience of one, Jesus, many can be made righteous. So what Jesus did, the scripture tells you this, is that Jesus came and he called himself the last Adam. He came in the form and the place of Adam to do for mankind what Adam failed to do. And he came to us so that he could become the new federal head. So that while we're born in Adam physically, we can be born again under Jesus spiritually. And what flowed from Adam through our genetic line and spiritual line, now everything flows through Christ. Do you see the difference? We move from here over to here. That's what the Bible would call translated. When you become, when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're translated. You're moved from here to here. You're no longer descendants of Adam. Your blood now flows through the veins of Jesus Christ, spiritually. And that's everything. You're repositioned, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Repositioned. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. And you thought, I thought it was just an insurance policy, just so my sins could be forgiven. Oh, it's so much more. You be translated. The Bible calls it adopted. Taken out of this and adopted into this. You're no longer sons and daughters of Adam. You are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Under the Father. He's our emotional makeup. Jesus came for us. What does this mean? So we have to get this. If we get this, then we get... So it's like, it's like this. If we don't understand the problem, then the solution doesn't seem too, too attractive. Okay? Jesus is the solution. He's the solution to everything. Jesus is the final answer. Somewhere, somehow, in all things, Christ is the answer. He's the answer to our spiritual woes. He's the answer to our relational woes. He's the answer to our economy. He's the answer to everything. He is the sum total of all things. He is. 
And somewhere along the line, we got to get this. If a doctor tells you and says, hey, Carmen, take these red pills. Just go home and take the red pills. You'll be fine. And Carmen goes, ah, she throws it on the counter. Says, ah, whatever. He told me to take them. I'll take them when I feel like it. But if she were to go to, if she were to, go to the doctor and the doctor goes, I need you to take these pills every hour on the hour for the next seven days. If you don't take the pills every hour on the hour, you're probably going to die. How many knows Carmen would set her alarm clock? She'd have a watch this big that would be beeping. She'd probably have beepers going off, beep, 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 to take that pill. Why? Because now she understands there's a problem, and she understands the relevance of the solution. We have a problem. We're lost. And the solution is Jesus. He came as a virgin. He was born of a virgin. What does this mean? He's perfect in his origins. He did not come from the seed of Adam. If Adam is the problem, then Christ had to circumvent Adam. God made himself a body. That's basically what the story is. And you go, well, how is that possible? It doesn't make any sense. How is it possible? Okay? Do you know how many things in this world are impossible? And yet they are. Okay? We talk about the bumblebee. Bumblebee's too big for his wings. Technically, by our laws, by laws of physics, bumblebee shouldn't fly. Did you know you have a miracle rising in the east and setting in the west? It's called a fusion reaction. You have hydrogen and helium combining themselves in stable form, forming a sun. And it rises in the east and sets in the west every day. That cannot be replicated. Those two substances in combination are unstable and cannot be masked like that. So you have a miracle. The sun itself is a miracle. It's a miracle. They cannot replicate a fusion reaction. They cannot make hydrogen and helium come together. Believe me, if they could, they would try because that is an amazing source of power. And they're like, oh, wow, if we put hydrogen and helium, every time they do it, it's, it's, it's too volatile. They can't contain it. Yet God contains it. And that's why the Bible says from the rising of the sun until it's going down. Why? Because the sun itself is a miracle. It testifies. So how did Jesus make a body for himself? How does the sun stay together? How does the earth stay at its perfect pitch? If it varies in its pitch at all, all life ends. How is that possible? Well, I don't know. But I have a problem with Jesus making himself a body. What? He came of a virgin. He incepted himself into Mary, rose, and gave, him, gave birth. He was born of Mary, a virgin. He came as us, the last Adam. Came to do what Adam failed to do. Next slide. He lived without sin. Sinless. You say, how is that possible? He's God. Not only that, we have evidence that it's true. Did you know that within the 24 hours when Jesus was arrested and tried, he went through six trials within a 24-hour period? Six times he appeared before legal authority. He went from Pilate, he went from the Sadducees to Pilate. To, he bounced back and forth three times before the Pharisees, three times before civil authorities. And what happened when he went before the religious authorities, the religious authorities were to see if he was guilty of breaking God's law. And trust me when I tell you, these people knew what they were doing. And they spent hours and hours and hours examining his life to see if he had broken God's law in any way. And if they could find one way that he had broken God's law, they could condemn him to death. And they found nothing except one charge. He said he was God. Well, he's guilty there, because he is. And so his condemnation was blasphemy. He profanes God by saying he is God. And that was their charge. But when he went to the civil authorities, he went to Pilate, then he went to Herod, then he went back to Pilate. All of them said, there's no guilt in this man at all. He's sinless, not just by heaven's decree. He's sinless by religious law, and he's sinless by civil law. There's no sin in him. 
Therefore, the sinless one became sin for us so that we could be made right with God. He that knew no sin became our sin so that we could get what he brought to us, his righteousness. Aren't you glad? What a wonderful name it is. Come on. Excuse me for a moment. What a wonderful name it is. He lived without sin. He died in our place. What does this mean? Every pain and ill that humans have ever experienced, Jesus took it on himself. Not just on the cross, but on the way to the cross. He was falsely accused. Anybody ever been falsely accused? Huh? How about mocked, made fun of publicly? Anybody ever have that one happen to him? We're going to go down the list. How about abused physically and emotionally? Jesus was abused physically and emotionally. Hello? They put a bag on your head and punch you in the face and tell me, say, prophesy who's doing it. I think that's a bit, I think that would qualify as physical abuse, wouldn't you? They got a bag on your head and they're just nailing you in the face, telling you to prophesy. That's pretty abusive. They strap him to a pole and light him up with a cat of nine tails. And I was meditating on this this week and the Lord goes, it wasn't ten, it wasn't nine, it was ten. If you count the handle. And I felt like the Lord was saying he was having the law laid on his back. He was taking the law of God upon himself, whipped and whipped by the law so that you would not have to be whipped by the law. Used emotionally. Six trials in 24 hours. We got some lawyers in the room. They would have a hard time doing that, let alone if you're the person being tried. That would emotionally traumatize you. You're running around in chains from this place to this place. They're not feeding you. They're not giving you water. They're punching you. They're kicking you. They're tripping you all along the way. You don't think that would emotionally traumatize you? I guarantee you it would. He took physical and emotional trauma upon himself. He was arrested without a cause. He took a crown of thorns. In Genesis, the Bible tells us that the earth gave birth to thorns because Adam sinned. He says, now your realm, Adam, is a realm of thorns. Your realm is a realm of pain and hurt and suffering. And Jesus said, I'll take it for him and I'll wear it on my brow. I will crown myself with their disgrace. Who does that? Who does that? Buddha ain't doing that for you. Muhammad isn't doing that for you. Tom Cruise isn't doing that for you. L. Ron Hubbard isn't doing that for you. <laughs> you didn't do that for you. Nobody does that for you. He does it. He takes it all. And he took judgment upon himself on the cross. The Bible says that judgment came upon him. What is the judgment? Eternal separation from God. That is man's judgment. Our damnation is to live eternally without God. Without light, without pleasure, and pain and suffering. That is our damnation, is separation. And Jesus took the separation upon him. And on the cross he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father separated himself because sin was laid upon him. And so the sin, he took the separation for you and me. So that you and I wouldn't have to be separated anymore. Come on. Somebody needs to give me something on that, man. This is good stuff. We do not have a high priest who is not able to empathize with our weakness. This is what the Bible says. He understands. But in all points was tempted as we are yet without sin. He is able to save to the uttermost. Jesus doesn't just save you. He saves you to the uttermost. He has suffered all of these things so that you can know life in all of these ways. Not just spiritual. That's at the beginning point. But you can know what it means to be redeemed in oh so many ways. 
There's nobody like him. He came to restore us back to our original position. I share this in, I think, second service. This is worth sharing again. Husbands and wives always like this stuff, so I'm going to help you out, ladies. The Bible, Jesus was created to be, mankind was created to be a gardener. The Bible uses the word husbandman. The word husbandman, dudes, means gardener. means one who tills the soil. Okay, so if you want to relate it to marriage, the woman, the Bible says, so it gives us these allegories. It says, the woman is a garden enclosed, and the man is a husbandman. So what's the point? The garden is going to bloom if the husband didn't till in the soil, right? And so the guy, the guy is to till the soil, make the earth work, figure out what the soil needs, make the garden bloom, and then the, then the garden blooms and gives him everything he wants. That's the idea. You believe me? <laughs> He's to love it. He's the garden. And so man was created to be a gardener. Man was created to tend the earth. But we lost that position. And now what we were created to produce now produce thorns. Jesus rises from the dead. He comes to die in order to restore us. Mary sees him outside the tomb and she recognizes him as a what? A gardener. Why didn't she see him as a builder? Why didn't she see him as somebody other than a gardener? Because what he had done is fulfilled his role. He died came as us to die for us so that he could restore us back to our original position. So that man could be restored back to right relationship and back to right purpose. That's the point. That's why she saw him as a gardener. Because that's what he came to do. He came to restore man back to who he originally was in light of the Father. Next slide. He's able to save you to the uttermost. He rose again so that you might live. Jesus didn't do this as an exercise in futility. He gave his life and he rose again and his glory. You want to know, you want to, get, you want to receive the greatest thing? You want to bring Jesus the most joy he's ever had? His joy is that you would have life. And his joy is that you would have life abundantly. It is what he died, shed his blood to give, to release into the human race, to restore us back into this position of grace and into this position of life. We do the Lord a disservice when we do not live in life. We do not experience him. We do not walk with him. Christian, having canceled out the charge against us, the legal handwriting, he canceled out the law. He took the law away, nailed it to the cross. There's no judgment. If you come into Christ, there is no condemnation over you. You are free. No one else can say that. It bears worth saying on Easter Sunday that Jesus is not one among many. We like to dilute him and convolute him and mix him in with all the other spiritual teachers. He doesn't give you the option to do so. He says, I'm God or I'm nothing. I'm the one and only or I'm nothing. But I am not one among many. He never gives you that option. It's important to know. He's not one among many. He's the one and only. There is no other name. Name a name. But there is no other name given under heaven by which we may be saved. None. No other name. There is salvation in no other it is at the name of Jesus that our knees bow and our hearts confess. It is only in Christ. No other name. What a wonderful name it is. Come on. We were buried with him in baptism in order that Christ would be raised from the dead through the glory of the Father we, to a new life. The issue is coming into Christ, being baptized in his name, rising or coming into faith in Christ. The idea is that Jesus wants to raise you to a new life. He wants to completely transform you. When you give your life to Christ, it all goes away. The guilt, the shame, all of a sudden you wake up. You might know what I'm talking about. They call it the born-again experience. Jesus said you must be born again. Why? Because you're born of Adam. 
And in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven, you must be born of the Spirit. You must be born of, the, of Jesus. We're born of Adam, but now we must be born again. It says this. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's nobody that's got it right. None of us. We all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God, the goodness of God. We're all short of it. Nobody can say, hey, I earned my way here. I'm doing pretty good. I'm a good person. Hey, Lord, I just want to tell you I did pretty good on some things. And, you know, I didn't know where I was with you, but I, you know, I tried to live a good life. That isn't going to get it done. I hate to tell you. They call it the cosmic scales. My good's going to be better than my bad. Well, how are you doing? Nobody knows. In Christ, you can know. You can know that you know. There's none righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death. death ha sin has an undercurrent. And without Christ, it's taking you into a fiery eternity. That is an inconvenient truth, but it is a truth nonetheless. In Christ, we are taken unto a glory, into a place, into an everlasting life that begins now. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is Christ eternal. The wages, sin's payment to us is separation eternally. But God shows how much he loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't hate you. If you don't know him, he doesn't hate you. He loves you. And his desire is to reach you. And his desire is to bring you home. Like the prodigal son, if you know the story. As soon as the son showed his face to the father, the father met him on the road. He repented. He said, I've sinned against heaven and you. The father took the repentance, but restored the identity. He'll take the repentance, and he will immediately restore your identity. That's how it works. He's not against you. He's for you. He loves you. He wants to bring you home. God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So how does this work? It tells us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe that he was risen from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that we believe, it is with the mouth that we confess. Everything that God has designed has been designed in partnership, including salvation. We have to partner with what God has already done. He's done all the heavy lifting. He's dropped the bar on the floor. But you must partner with it. You must come in agreement with it. And you must believe from the heart. And you must say with your mouth. That's how it works. And you say, well, how do I know that I'm going to be saved? How do I know Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do? Because he tells you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no maybe in that. There's no maybe I'll think about it. He says, if you call on me, I'm going to take you at your word. If you invite me into your heart, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. Revelation puts it this way. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open up, I will come in. And he uses the word supper, which is communion. He says, I will commune with you. I will begin to relate with you. I will begin to share at a table with you. You and I will become friends and uh, servants and all this stuff. All this stuff is going to come through this relationship. But you've got to open the door. He can do a lot of things, but he can't open the door of the heart. You have to open the door of your heart. Nobody can do that for you. Everything else is given. But the door of the heart has to be open. You say, how do you do it? We're going to pray. If you've never received Jesus this morning, today is your day. You are not here on an accident. You're not here just because it's the cool thing to do on Easter Sunday or it's a, something you need to do. <laughs> You're here because God has summoned you here. He's called you here to hear this because he's calling you home. He wants to enter into your heart. He wants to forgive you. He wants to relieve you, release you, and he wants to give you new life. We're going to pray together as a group. The church is going to pray with us. 
And if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, just open up your heart and pray along. Say, I don't know how to open my heart. Sure you do. Everybody knows how to open their heart. First thing you do is put your brain in neutral and just open your heart. Just go for it. Let's pray. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I may not understand this, but I need a Savior. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Say, that's it? Now it's the beginning point, man. Welcome to the family. If you ask Jesus in your heart today, come on, welcome family. Yeah, we can clap. Yeah. If you have any questions and you receive Jesus today, I'll be, I'll be around. Just come pester me. I'm, I have time for you, no problem. Uh, we got an event going on outside, right? What we got going on out there? Hot dog? What do we got? Anything? I have no idea. We got a bounce house. I know that. What else we got? Hot dogs. Oh, we got hot dogs. Come on. Snow cones. Egg scramble. So there's a party going on out back. There's going to be music. So I want to encourage you guys to come and hang out for a little bit. Meet some people you didn't come here with and have a nice time. But I want to bless you one more time. Just receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live in his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Thanks, man. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Awesome.